it's Tuesday evening. Time for some jazz. Five songs, five stories in the ongoing series. Songs and Stories, Supplemental Jazz Edition. This is part 53. Five artists on tap, as it always is every week when I put this show together. Now, I do realize this is a bit of a break from the Sunday morning format, but it's been, uh, it's been a busy time for me as of late, and trying to get shows put together and recorded is, well, not as easy as it sometimes sounds. Nevertheless, happy to do this for you. So, let's start the evening off with a recording from the album West Coast Jazz by Mr. Stan Getz. The late, great Stan Getz passed away 30 years ago, June 1991. This album was recorded in 1955, one of his uh, most highly revered albums, and this uh, particular composition, often misnomered as Shine, it's actually S-H-I-N-E, Stan Getz, enjoy this, I know I certainly will. Thank <laughs> you. 
should say. Um, lyrics uh, for the original composition, of course, now this is just a jazz interpretation thereof, was quite a popular song at the time of uh, its first release, I guess, in 1910, because back then people would purchase a lot of sheet music to uh, play in their in their parlors, as the saying would go. Was uh, lyrics for the uh, original composition were composed by Cecil Mack and Lou Brown, with music by Ford Dabney. They were Tin Pan Alley songwriters. Like I said, published in 1910. Now, it's uh, apparently the song was written about a, an actual gentleman uh, whose name was Shine. I guess he was. Uh, badly beaten during the New York City race riot of 1900. Now, of course, the interpretation you just heard has no lyrics. That's just the jazz and uh, version of it, as I stated a moment ago, which was originally um, written or recorded, I should say, as a jazz version uh, in 1924 um, by Louis Armstrong. Ella Fitzgerald has recorded a version along with Benny Goodman, Frankie Lane, Harry James, Bing Crosby and the Mills Brothers. A lot of artists have recorded it. You know that even uh, Canadian songstress Anne Murray has a version of this from her 1976 album, Keeping in Touch. Now, the version you've just heard, of course, was from the uh, jazz, uh, West Coast Jazz album recorded by Stan Getz in 1955, accompanied by a quartet. Um, artists on the, or the um, musicians on that were um, uh, Conte Candoli, who played the trumpet on uh, on the the first song on the album, which we didn't play. Lou Levy, Leroy Vinegar, and Shelly Mann. Shelly Mann was the drummer. Leroy Vinegar, double bass. Lou Levy, the pianist, and of course, tenor saxophonist extraordinaire, Mr. Stan Getz. Now the uh, the title of the album. 
West Coast jazz was rather tongue-in-cheek, sort of an in-joke thing amongst the musicians because Stan Getz was not associated with the West Coast jazz style or scene whatsoever. The album was re-released in uh, 1996 by Verve Records, and if you seek it out, there are, um, I guess, seven additional tracks. The original album was uh, six songs in total. So if you do seek it out, it is certainly there for you. And there are a lot more where that came from. Okay, I'm stumbling there right now because it's um, 10.30 on a Tuesday evening, so I'm, I'm a little out of sorts. I don't normally do this at this hour. Ordinarily, I record this between uh, 5 to 7 a.m. on a Sunday. Sometimes 8, sometimes 9, but usually between 5. Well, 5 and 8, I guess you could say. But as I said, I I didn't have uh, time this past weekend, and the weekend previous I needed to take a weekend off because I was physically and emotionally exhausted. Life gets busy sometimes, and you need to take care of yourself when that happens. Oops, I hit the microphone with my headset. My apologies. Next composition for today... Um, classic from uh, Coleman Hawkins. Coleman Hawkins. Wow. Let's just get to the music, Paul, before I stumble anymore. This is um, Blues for Yolande. <laughs>
yeah. Coleman Hawkins. <laughs> My goodness gracious. Coleman Hawkins. From the album, Coleman Hawkins Encounters Ben Webster. Now, that was recorded in October of 1957. Uh, one, one studio event, one day in the studio, October 16th, 1957. But it wasn't released until November of 1959. Now, that, um, that album was particularly unique in that it, when it was released in the United Kingdom, it was titled Blue Saxophones. Now, we should also mention that there's a rhythm section that you could hear. You could hear some uh, piano and drums and a little bit of double bass in the background. Well, that rhythm section was led by another, the, none other than Little Burgundy's own Oscar Peterson. OP. The man was prolific. Now, the record, like I said, sat on the shelf for a little over two years, and I, I don't know why. I, I've never been, uh, never been able to find out why that was. Probably just some sort of marketing ploy with the record company, but they, you know, they, they would record albums and sit on them for a long time back then. Heck, they still do it today. There's music by a lum- number of artists that... Prior to the dawn of the internet age and things like Spotify, we would never hear. But because uh, a lot of people are doing it the Billie Eilish way and recording in their own home, they can release whatever they want these days. Now, Mr. Coleman Hawkins uh, passed away at the age of uh, 64 in 1969, just a year after I was born. He was often referred to as Hawk, sometimes Bean. He was one of the first prominent uh, jazz musicians on his instrument. As the esteemed uh, jazz critic, journalist, author, producer, Joachim Ernst Berndt, um, once described, or should I say explained, um, that there were, there were some tenor players before him but the instrument wasn't truly acknowledged as a, a jazz horn. So, Coleman Hawkins really did play, uh, or really did play, he really did change um, the style so that it was an accepted uh, in jazz. Because like I said, prior to that, it really wasn't seen as a jazz instrument. And then this young man came along and changed everything forever. Lester Young who was um, also a saxophonist, and he was known as Prez, I guess short for president. He commented in a 1959 interview with uh, the Jazz Review that he said, and this is what he said, as far as I'm concerned, I think Coleman Hawkins was the president first, right? As far as myself, I think I'm the second one. Miles Davis once said, when I heard Hawk, I learned to play ballads. You can understand how absolutely influential he was on, well, everybody within the jazz scene. Including, of course, Mr. Blue Train himself, John Coltrane. Now, Ben Webster, uh, he passed away in 1973. He was a few years older. He was, or no, I'm sorry, he wasn't. He was 64. My goodness. (laughs) They both died at the same age. I shouldn't be laughing at that. It's not funny. I just... Didn't realize that they were both the same age at the time. He uh, he passed away. Uh, he was in the ne- he, boy. He was in the Netherlands at the time, 
in the city of Amsterdam. He wasn't as influential as Coleman Hawkins. He was, however, a very well-respected and well-known jazz saxophonist. He did play with a who's who of the uh, jazz scene back in the day, as the saying goes. In that particular album, of course, um, Coleman Hawkins encounters Ben Webster as... Basically seen as an absolute jazz standard if you have a jazz music collection. It's a record you absolutely should own. Okay, enough about uh, enough of my babbling. Let's get back to the music, shall we? This uh, particular composition is from uh, the late great Cannonball Adderley. This is Autumn Leaves. <laughs> Thank you. 
Oh yeah, from the album Something Else, Cannonball Adderley, featuring Miles Davis, Hank Jones, Sam Jones, and Art Blakey, recorded in August of 1958, or sorry, (laughs) released in August of 1958, recorded in March of 1958, my goodness gracious, Autumn Leaves, Julian Edwin Cannonball Adderley. That was an original composition uh, by Joseph Cosma, Johnny Mercer, and Jacques Prévert. I hope I pronounced his name. Prévert? I believe so. Originally written in uh, 1945. Popular jazz standard, of course. It originally had French lyrics. Of course, again, this is a instrumental interpretation thereof. Uh, as I understand it, too, the most popular version was by Roger Williams, um, piano, piano version alone, and uh, became a number one bestseller on the Billboard charts in 1955. Oh. Songlet has had quite a, a long history of, uh, well, recording and interpretation. Stan Getz, I guess, originally recorded that in 1952. Uh, Miles Davis, of course, uh, featured on this one as Cannonball Adderley was the band leader on this particular occasion. And as a matter of fact, this this record is one of the very few times that um, uh, Miles Davis was a sideman after 1955. Of course, Cannonball was a member of uh, Miles Davis' first great quintet at the time. The song has been re-recorded a number of times over the years, and even in, uh, I guess it was 1975, Cannonball um, uh, had an album that was released shortly before he died, uh, titled Autumn Leaves. Of course, that composition and and a different interpretation thereof was on that record as well. So, I don't know if you've noticed there's a bit of a theme running through today. All sort of a 50s jazz before the 60s really kind of kicked in. So when jazz was changing a lot throughout the 50s and the 60s for that matter, long before fusion came along, of course, we're not going to get into that today. Of course, uh, Julian Cannonball Adderley um, died in 1975, as I stated earlier. He was only 46 years of age at the time, quite young. Few years younger than I am right now. I'm 53, so. Sadly, he um, died too young. He had a um, suffered from a st- uh, suffered a stroke from a, a cerebral hemorrhage in July of 75, and passed away on August 8th, 1975. Such a shame, because uh, the man was well. He was a brilliant musician, but he was also, from what I am told, and what I have read. A wonderful man to just be with, you know, a good buddy, a good friend, somebody you'd enjoy their company. And I mean, Cannonball, what a great name, eh? Now the next artist I'm going to feature today is a gentleman whose uh, music I've not I've not played before on this show, uh, at least as a band leader. I have featured uh, compositions that he had been uh, a part of and had recorded on. That is, of course, none other than Leon Konitz, a.k.a. Lee Konitz, as he was often referred to by his uh, fellow musician friends, the late great alto saxophonist 
passed away in April of 2020 due to complications from COVID-19. Such is life in the uh, COVID times, the pandemic days. The Children of the Corn. Okay, from the album uh, Very Cool, recorded in 1957, this is Crazy She Calls Me from Mr. Lee Konitz. Crazy she calls me 
doesn't get you into a relaxed state of mind, I don't know what will. Crazy She Calls Me, originally written by Carl Sigmund and Bob Russell. That composition you just heard was recorded in 1957 from the album Very Cool, the late great Mr. Lee Konitz. Leon Konitz was originally inspired um, to play the clarinet when he uh, was 11 years old and he heard Benny Goodman play. He did receive some classical training and uh, he ended up teaching a few few individuals uh, later on in life. When he was 12, uh, he was inspired by Lester Young and that was it. He kind of dropped the clarinet and picked up the tenor sax and the rest, as they say, is history. Of course, he did have a very long career, some 70, 75 years almost, I believe. His professional career started in 1945 and, well, ended in, I guess, 2019, so 74 years. Of course, he passed away in 92 from COVID, but nevertheless, you know, that's a, a life well lived. So he was in a uh, group with Miles Davis in uh, 1948, and uh, he recorded with the band, the Miles Davis group, uh, between uh, 49 and 1950. And those uh, songs that they recorded were collected, uh, put together the album uh, Birth the Cool, released by Capitol Records in 1957, which is without question, a monumental, influential album from the Miles Davis group. So he was a a major part of history. Now he's worked with the who's who of jazz. Miles Davis, of course. Dave Brubeck, Ornette Coleman, Charles Mingus, Charlie Hayden, Brad Meldo. He recorded with uh, Blue Note Records, Birdland Studios, He was on an Elvis Costello song back in 2003. Someone took the words away. He um, he really did work with the who's who of music. He, he, well, he worked with Michael Jackson at one point as well. So, you know, the man did get around. Anyway. The late great Leon, or Lee, to his friends Kunitz. He will be missed, but his music will live forever. That brings us to the end of today's program. Well, not the very end, of course. I have one final track, the last track for today, the last composition. Originally uh, composed by uh, Charles Tolliver, And this song was from the album Jackknife by uh, uh, Jackie um, McLean. I almost said Jackie Moon. (laughs) I was getting my... Thinking of the movie um, Tropic Thunder. No, not Tropic Thunder. Anyway, a Will Ferrell movie from a few years back. Jackie Moon. This was Jackie McLean. And uh, this is from the album Jackknife, which was recorded in um, between 1965 and 1966. There was two different recording sessions 
um, the first on September 24th, 1965. And uh, it's a, it was a double album, 10 tracks in total. And this, uh, this particular composition was the very first one on the album. And the record was not released until 1975. But if you've been listening to this show for a while, you will remember that Jackie McLean did uh, do some well, a prolific amount of studio work uh, for a number of years as his, his uh, cabaret performer license was suspended at, uh, for a number of years. He fought and did get it back. It was a drug-related issue at the time. But this album, like I said, was recorded between uh, the first five tracks in September 1965 and uh, the remaining five tracks in uh, April of 1966 and sat on the shelf until 1975. That's uh, that's jazz for you. (laughs) Nevertheless, we have uh, this spectacular composition from Charles Tolliver to thank. This is On the Nile, uh, Jackie McLean's interpretation thereof.
Jackie McLean with his interpretation of the Charles Tolliver classic, On the Nile. So that brings us to the end of today's program. I hope you've enjoyed it. I enjoyed putting it together for you. I did have some technical technical issues, as sometimes does happen in the world that we live in today, as everything is so highly based upon computers and electronics. I mean, let's face it, during the pandemic, millions of people were working from home. I, uh, I'm not really one that can do that ordinarily, because my, my line of work involves me being at a client site. But I'm not going to get into that. And I'm not trying to be too philosophical here today. I just want you to have a, a wonderful day, and I hope this helps start your work day, or perhaps this will be a midday break, or maybe even end your work day. Whatever the case may be, wherever you are in this world, I hope you are feeling happy and healthy, and I hope you have a wonderful day. I'll have a new show for you next week, and I'll get that up probably... If this weekend allows, I should be able to record that for you on Sunday. Until we meet again, my friends, take care. Bye.